Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is supply chain growing pains with my friend Anya Skomorakova. I probably mispronounced her name. Anya is the co-founder and chief commercial officer of Porter Logic, a low-code supply chain operations platform that replaces all the spreadsheets typically used to manage warehouses and inventory. Anya is awesome. Check out my interview with her. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about my friends over at Tusk Logistics. That's T-U-S-K logistics.com. Tusk Logistics is a national small parcel network made up of the very best regional small parcel carriers. Tusk delivers reliable service, predictable pricing, and proactive support at lower costs, sometimes up to 40% less than the big guys, UPS and FedEx. Implementation is easy, and the Tusk team is absolutely obsessed with customer service and putting the shipper first. Check them out at tusklogistics.com and click the Get Started button. I will put a link in the show notes so you can reach out and talk to my friends over at Tusk Logistics. So today's topic is supply chain growing pains with my friend Anya Skomorokova. Did I get that name right? <laughs> I was close enough. It was good. <laughs> so spell your name for us. S-K-O-M-O-R-O-K-H-O-V-A. Nice Irish name you got there. Anya, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Yeah. My name is Anya. I am the co-founder and chief commercial officer of Porter Logic. And I am calling in from Atlanta, Georgia. Very nice. Very nice. I joke. I was just in... Savannah for TMSA, that's Transportation Marketing Sales Association. You guys got wonderful humidity this time of year. I love Savannah, but I I joked with everyone when I was down there that everybody I talked to lately is in Texas or Georgia or somewhere else on the rest of the planet. (laughs) But it seems like everybody's there. Yes, especially after COVID, we had a number of folks who moved from north, from out west, and now we're full. We're full. (laughs) Yeah. The traffic has gotten worse, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. Anya, your company does what? So we're a supply chain technology stack. So retailers, distributors, and manufacturers use us to drive profitable and efficient growth by essentially filling gaps in their supply chain operations, particularly around inventory management and warehouse management. And So the name is Porter Logic. Where did that name come from? The real story is that it was a $12 domain name, and my co-founder's last name is Porter, Jonathan Porter. And when he was just starting to build out the product and he wanted to put up a website, there was a number of names that, that we looked at, and this was a, it was a $12 domain name. We were number one on Google search, and we said, you know what, ship it. We, will, we might have to rebrand at some point, but that's what we're doing it now. When you type in Porter Logic, you get you, which is crazy because normally... We have so many VC-backed supply chain and logistics tech companies that basically anytime you t- I type in the logistics of logistics, there's all these names in front of me. I'm like, 
I'm not sponsoring my own name. <laughs> I know uh, bigger companies do, but not me. So who's your sweet spot? Who do you guys work with? So primarily high growth, mid-market distributors, retailers, and manufacturers. So companies who are out of the startup phase and are really in that growth phase where they're changing all the time. They know that the systems they currently have are not going to scale up with them. And so they need what they really need in their operations is flexibility. Yep. And with the today's topic again is supply chain growing pains and you exceed that with your customers. Now you guys are a fast growing company too. By the way, I met you down at or not down over at Manifest in Las Vegas. That's right. Great conference. And I'll be there again next year. I loved it. Likewise. I think we're doing a lot more at Manifest next year as well. So we'll have a booth. We might be doing some events and some other things. Excellent. Excellent. Let's switch gears for a second. Tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started Porter Logic. Yeah. So I actually grew up all over the place. I'm not originally from the US. I was born in Russia. When I was a kid, we moved all over Europe because of my family's job. And then we moved to the US when I was seven, also traveled all over East Coast, West Coast, ended up finally settling down in Atlanta. And then I ended up basically going to school, going to college for free at Georgia Tech, studied electrical engineering, realized I didn't quite want to be an engineer. I really liked the intersection between business and technology or how you apply technology to business. And so at a school, I went into kind of did a complete 180, went into management consulting. And then I realized I really missed technology and really wanted to be in something faster and quicker and wanted to be in entrepreneurship. And so I jumped ship into startup land. Basically, I joined it really early stage data analytics company. I was the seventh hire. I did everything from solutions engineering and implementations to customer support, all of that, all the mid-tier between what the salespeople were doing and then what the engineers were building. And then after that, as a consultant, what you realize is you're going down the line and you're handling every customer's problems one at a time. And what I really wanted to do was drive the product roadmap to look at that set of customers holistically and really build a better product from the feedback I was seeing. And so my career naturally got more into product management. So I ended up spending some time at a growth stage startup, more on the technical side. I worked directly with software engineers. We were building a privacy management platform. Then I also went more on the go-to-market side of building new data products where I was working a lot with marketing, sales, and service. And then my last experience prior to co-founding Portalogic was I was a director of product at a sure tech startup, and we were building a, a, an AI pipeline to essentially extract information out of insurance documents. Very nice. Very impressive. You must have been a fantastic student to get a scholarship to Georgia Tech. I, yeah, I'd say I was, but I'd say I also worked really hard and I sprinted through college. I, I actually finished my bachelor's in three years and I, I didn't really have that much fun in college, to be honest. That was a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to college at night school, so I was like, I, I, I had fun, but that was because I went and visited all my friends who were at college. And I always remember by the time I was got my master's degree, I was like 37. I remember somebody's like, hey, where are you going for spring break? I'm like, to work and then to home to my wife and kids. Like, there is no spring break. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's a different world. But that's the, 
I know Georgia Tech's a top school. It's not easy to get scholarships these days to any school, let alone a good tech school. So congrats on that. You must have been really working at it. That's all. That's what we expect. As people who are born here, we're like, we need to bring in some immigrants who will work really hard and value that education because we don't. <laughs> yeah, by the way, you'll have kids someday and you'll go, I just don't get them. <laughs> they don't want to work. Anyway, so today's topic is supply chain growing pains. And it's something before we hit record, you were talking about how you work with a lot of companies that are out of that initial growth stage. They proved it out. Now they're getting ready to scale and you see all of the problems. Now, I know we're going to focus more on the tech problems, but I want to talk for a minute because you experienced this not only with your customers, but also with your own company that's growing fast. And it's the, the first thing we talked about was people. So talk a little bit about your experience, what it takes when you're growing a company with the people side. Yeah, I think people are the toughest piece of growing a company just because it's the most unpredictable variable. When you think about technology, it's at least in some ways, it's rational. It's logical, right? It doesn't get There's its feelings hurt. <laughs> it doesn't get its feelings hurt. And you have, you have, you have ways that you can vet, vet technology and you don't necessarily have to commit to it. With people getting the right person I would actually, I would backpedal that. It's not even about getting the right people. It's about figuring out who is the right person to get on, on right. your rocket ship or on your ship. And that is the first piece. When we started hiring, I think we probably went through about two or three months of iteration of just figuring out what it was that we actually needed for the role. And that was, you're talking to candidates and you realize, I like this person, but there's just, there's something that doesn't it there's some there's something that is not that's just quite not clicking it just feels like there's something else that that we need in this role or there's some sort of hesitancy and so you really have to dig in and you really have to know what it is that you want out of that out of your next out of your next hire for whichever piece it's going to be and so that is the first that's the first tough part the second tough part is finding those people, right? And finding people who are going to be missionaries and not mercenaries. And especially after the last couple of years, there's a lot of folks who are just, who are tired, who are burned out, who just are not as excited. And the kind of company that we're building, we want people to really be excited about the work that they're doing. We want them to have, we want them to have a real life and have a real work-life balance, but we also want them to be fully present while they're at work. And, and being able to suss that out in a three, four-hour interview is, frankly, really challenging. I think my own experience with not only with logistics companies, but working inside automotive supply chain is you're always in that weird position of saying, we want to bring somebody on who can grow with the role as the company grows. And as you said, you're working with fast growing companies. So they might hire somebody who says, hey, this guy's going to eventually manage this whole facility. Well, that's our hope. We hope he or she grows into that role. But if they don't, for whatever reason, then that's where it gets difficult where you said, oh, I thought that was going to be vice president of operations. And now even though they've been loyal and they've been great, we just don't see them growing into that role. Now we're hiring above them. And that's where the people piece gets really difficult. And we don't have to go into great detail, but I know you guys have raised some money 
I got investors. The money part's another thing because as you're growing, you obviously need, you're growing a business. You need, we'll talk about supply chain, not so much our business, but you need money to build more stuff and have more inventory and hire more people. Absolutely. A lot of times you're spending the money ahead of the money that's coming in. And that's why you need the, that's why you need the investors. You need that initial push to be able to have more working capital so that you can take some of those calculated risks and get ahead of what's coming down the pipeline. And especially even when you think from a cash flow management perspective, if you're working with enterprises, people are paying you some somewhere between net 30 to net 90 days after they oh, sign the contract. Yeah. And so you're sitting there, you have this theoretical kind of paper money, but you really need to be careful about managing your cash flow and managing your expenses. Yeah, yeah. And we, we won't get into the details of this, but we all know now, I, I went to Transportation Marketing Sales Association last week down in Savannah, loved it. And I'm amazed now when somebody says, we're going to get money to grow the business, where it, it used to be like, we'll hire a few good sales guys and they will make it happen or not. Now it just seems like with the digital marketing we're doing, which is feels so much more predictable, where I know I can spend this much money and get this much return. In the past, we didn't really know what our, our how our money was going to return to us. I feel like sales has gotten so much more predictable and, and so much more likely to have an ROI that is acceptable. <laughs> I think it does if you're building a good sales playbook. So in my experience, what I've seen happening is we've almost gone 360. Think about before the internet age, it used to be the, the salesman knocking door to door, right? And then we got into the internet age. All of the data was democratized. You could go search for your own solutions. You could go sign up for a demo yourself. You could really self-educate yourself without... And, honestly, buy something fairly large without ever talking to a person. And then I honestly think we've ruined it where it was so easy to do that. And it's so easy to send out all of the digital marketing and just essentially what they call spray and pray that people are no longer listening to that. So even when they have problems, they don't know where to go. They don't know what resources to trust. And so what are they going back to? They're going back to calling up their friend Susan to say, hey, I have this problem. What kind of what kinds of solutions have you been hearing about? Or what did you use in the past? Who should I talk to? And so we've gone back full circle to where it goes back to the <laughs> yeah. personal relationship. It goes back. It's interesting you should say that because I was just again at TMSA and you have top salespeople, top marketers there sharing what they're doing. And they they use the term spray and pray like you used just now. As like, we don't do spray and spray. Like and they go that, which was so prevalent, like this idea that I'll just, whether it's with cold calls or with ads or they didn't prove anything out. I've developed some websites in the past. And I remember my web partner would always say, everybody loves to drive traffic to their site, but then they don't convert anything once they drive. They go, they will spend infinite dollars to move people to their website and convert 0.001% of the visitors into something. But anyway, we talked a little bit about the people. So if somebody's supplying, scaling a supply chain, and again, you're working with these companies that are often fast growing companies. And so you're seeing not only with your customers, but also your company's growing quick. So the people, of course, is a problem. Getting investors is a whole nother problem. But also those investors have gotten a lot pickier in the last year. They want to know that 
that this isn't going down a rat hole. They need to know that this money's getting a return. We also, so we obviously just talked about the sales. So now I want to talk about the tech stack and what are some of the challenges that these fast growth. So when you, we say that your customers, they're mostly what retailers. Yeah. A lot of direct to consumer retailers or so e-commerce. Um, direct to consumer, mm-hmm, a lot of e-commerce, a lot of e-commerce fo- folks, some distributors. And so what are some of the problems you're seeing with their tech? What's going wrong? So there's a couple different things. So number one is they're a lot of times when they're just when they're just grow when they're growing or rephrase that. <laughs> so one of the big things that I'm seeing is a lot of th- things around data quality and data integrity. So a little bit of garbage in garbage out. And so what's kind of, what's what's happening is as as you're growing quickly, you're you're mostly reacting and so you're basically building on some bolt-on solutions or you're duct taping things together you're just trying to you're just trying to make it work and then what's happening is at that point you're making decisions based on gut feel based on intuition not so much based on data now when those folks try to as as they're growing it's no longer the founders and the senior leadership who are making those decisions they have to go a step down and enable their people to make data-driven decisions and they're taking a look at that data and they're saying, well, we don't trust the data. And so a lot of what they're having to do as they're scaling is cleaning up the data, eliminating the data silos, because they might have a lot of times everybody starts out in spreadsheets. And so they have data in 40 different 40 different tabs and 20 different spreadsheets. And there's a couple of analysts who actually know exactly what's going on. And that's about it. Yeah, I think also one of the challenges, and I've seen this, is with the tech, is you're doing something manually and it works. You're like, it works. I Once a week, I send this to Anya and she does this, right? Then when you get to a place where you go, okay, I'll just send her that email every single day. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm sending her a spreadsheet or whatever. And now you're like, oh my God, this is all of a sudden, like it was fine when we were smaller and maybe we're now remote now, maybe we're spread out, different players. What could be done easily manually for 10 transactions doesn't work at all for a thousand. And by the way, when I was at Manifest, and maybe you heard the same thing, I said I was lucky enough to moderate the shipper panel. And when you hear shippers talk, they talked about manual functions. They talked about things like that, that my podcast, we skim across the surface with all of our cool tech. And we don't always talk about the fact that these are top supply chains, sometimes struggle with manual functions and data silos, like you started to describe. And I suspect that all the cool stuff that we talk about automating and AI and all that stuff doesn't get to the day-to-day because not everybody's upgrading their technology every day. Yeah. Frankly speaking, a lot of those folks are not even, they're not even ready for AI because they're still doing things very manually. And honestly, spreadsheets can go a pretty long way and they work really well until one fine morning it doesn't. And it's a very much, it's very much a step function. It's not a linear of, I'm the kind of, it just snowballs. It very much just all of a sudden it's all breaking and it's becoming a fire drill. And then they're reactive and they're trying to pick technology that they think is is going to solve it. So one of the problems we talked about is 
dirty data integrity, right? And we talked also about data silos and write down manual functions as another thing that we know is definitely part of what happens in supply chains early on, but as they start to scale. And again, the companies you work with, these are typically either e-commerce companies or retailers, and they're all of a sudden seeing growth and saying, this doesn't work anymore. And what, I'm sure there's different sizes, but what, how many people or how much money are we talking when they go, oh my God, this doesn't work anymore? So it's actually a range and it depends on how vertically integrated they are. So for example, if you're, if you do any of your own manufacturing and warehousing, then you end up having those problems a lot earlier. You could very much be 50 to 100 people. You could be around 50 million in revenue or hell, you could even be, or you could even be 20, 25 million in revenue when you start seeing those problems because of the complexity in your supply chain, because you're doing all of these things, ver- you're, you're having that vertical integration. So you're having people do all of the, all of those steps versus if you are more of a distributor or just a retailer where you're working with a lot of 3PLs. And so what that means is you're just having to, you're just having to balance your different order channels, balance your different distribution channels or fulfillment channels. And so you're just having to quarterback or orchestrate to make sure that everything is flowing as is. You, I've actually heard of people who managed 150 million in revenue out of spreadsheets. Now that spreadsheet took 45 minutes to run. It was, it was a bit of a disaster, but I have seen that happen. And for people who are not doing that vertical integration, you can get away with it for a longer time, but just realize that you are going to pay the piper at some point. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's this, one of the challenges you have also, we talked, we talked about the people a minute ago, but when you're growing fast, who has time to say, oh, we should go out and pick some nice software that will solve all these problems. Even if you have the money and finding the time and the people who want to do that, that's a, we'll get to what it takes to implement your software in a minute. But that is a daunting task. And I, by the way, I will mention a friend of mine who's the vice president of a big automotive company, a tier one supplier. And I remember they put an ERP system in and years later, they put a new one in. And I remember it was probably a decade between. And I remember he said, Joe, I already told my boss, I will quit before I, I will retire before I put another ERP in. He goes, I, he goes, it's like torture. And he said, he goes, I lost one of my top people left the company because she got really involved in the ERP. And she loved what she was doing and she was a key part of it. We wouldn't have implemented it, right? He goes, but she saw this is my new life. She left and went to an ERP company. And I was like, oh my God, that's not only did I have my life disrupted and it was 18 months with those big ERPs. So that's a, absolutely, that's a very common story that I hear. And it's really a bit of a, a bit of an old idea that to implement, to modernize your supply chain, that you need to do this waterfall approach, right? When you think about it, when you think about that mammoth 18 to 24 month implementation, which is pretty average, they do all of the design and the, all of the design up front, then they go off and build, then they test, and then they go live two years later and are really hoping that their design assumptions they made two years ago are still valid. And the problem now is that maybe it worked in the 80s, but it 
doesn't work anymore because the world is moving so fast. And there's software out there now where you can actually do those implementations on a modular basis. Yeah. Think about how we develop software. We're no longer doing waterfall. We're doing agile. We're doing this iterative approach of design, build, test, test, beta, release, get feedback, tweak, and then move on to the next thing. And so you're constantly approaching the goal, but you're getting incremental wins along the way right. as well. Yeah. One of my daughters is a financial consultant and she works with Workday. And she previously worked with one of the big, another big consulting company that had an old ERP. And she says, it's like night and day. She goes, the implementations were long and painful. Everyone was different. She says the upgrades, she goes, we would put a system in that it could not be upgraded. Like it, you couldn't upgrade it. And she says workday, like it just upgrades constantly, just like just constantly upgrading. Anyway, so we talked a little bit, these are some of the problems with the tech stack. When we talk about supply chain growing, we get the, the dirty data, the data integrity, the, all the data silos that are out there, too many manual functions. When you talk about getting software, we talk about where's that money come from? Where's the people come from? Where's the time come from for that implementation? And I'll throw one more thing in there is how do I pick the right software for my company? And I think what's such a joke now is if you Google any, if I Googled, and I did this, I Googled CRM the other day and you say, oh, CRM for a small company. Good luck. You, you, like everything is either sponsored or an affiliate wrote the article and you're like, oh, okay. So this is basically Google can't help me on this problem. YouTube kind YouTube has a million comparisons comparing this to that. <laughs> like, but even that you're like, these, and they always will say, yeah, click the affiliate link below. You're like, wait a sec. <laughs> what do you mean? Absolutely. That's why you end up, you revert back to calling your dear friend or the expert in the space and asking them, hey, what should I look at? Aside from, there, there is so much software out there and whatever platform assist systems people pick, there's a framework that I like to use. And thinking about how much our world is changing, especially for high growth companies, you really don't want to be put into a box, right? You don't want to buy a box that you really are going to have to finagle or that you're worried that you're, that you can outgrow, right? The idea of software being boxed in does not, you don't necessarily, it's not something you necessarily have to do these days. And so what I like to do is whatever you pick, stress test it for three things or think of it as a framework. So Number one is adaptability, right? I've harped a lot on flexibility. You can't predict how your business is going to change or when it's going to change, but will. Just think about the last couple of years. And so you need systems and tools that can grow and scale and flex with you because the rules of the future are that you need optionality and you need a path to act quickly when, whenever change happens, whenever a key employee quits or you're launching a new product or some other supply chain fiasco happens. So you need the tools to be able yeah. to flex and well, to react to that. I don't want to do this every year. Is what you're to. Exactly. You don't want to buy a box every year and then find out you need a different box and then you need a different color box. And right. then you just keep on stacking on the boxes, which is how you end up getting into data silos as well. Right. But second is 
pick tools that are identify what your competitive advantage is in your supply chain and what is the most important piece of your operation and pick tools that are really good at that. So don't think about peanut butter spread. So peanut, don't think about peanut butter spreading and picking a solution that says it's really good at everything, which it probably isn't. Think about picking something that is really good for the part of your operation that is either the most risky or the most cumbersome or the most difficult to do. For example, when you think about an ERP is really two, two systems put together. It's both a financial system and an operational system. And it's actually very good for the finance people because think about your general ledger or your P&L statements. They're all pretty much the same. And ERPs were also initially built for the financial people. Now, the moment your operations gets more nuanced requirements, when you're doing any of that vertical integration, or if you're doing kidding, or you're doing something different, let's say in transportation or something, you start running into lots of problems because that box just does not handle, it does not handle those nuances very well. And so at that point, what you might want to say is, hey, you know what, I don't need the best in class, like, financials, perhaps QuickBooks or Zero or some other financial suite is going to do for a good long time. But I want to invest more in an operational system that will help me scale, will, will help me scale or will help scale my supply chain as I'm growing there. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that because again, you don't need, the, the one of the challenges, and we said about people, but it also applies to technology, is I need something, ideally I hire somebody who is my sales guy today and then he's going to be director of sales, and then he's going to be VP of sales as we grow. But that doesn't always happen, right? And I think it's the same with my software. I don't want to have to change it in the next year just because I grew faster than I thought. Or Also, I've noticed this with softwares, a lot of sophistication in the software. And so when you're small, you're like, oh my God, I don't need all this. I'm paying for more than I need, a lot more than I need. And then you're like, I hope I grow into this. It's like having kids when you try and buy clothes. You don't want to buy them the right size because they're going to grow. <laughs> yeah, that's a real challenge. Getting something that fits today without being too expensive or too so sophisticated that the setup kills you. But also as you grow and you have more nuance and as you have more needs, it can grow with you. Easier, easier said than done. So you said three things. So you talked about adaptable and then you talked about mm-hmm. something that that – Helps you leverage your competitive advantage. What's the third thing that we should look at? The third thing is around robust connectivity. So as I mentioned, it's unlikely you're going to find one system that can do everything extremely well. And honestly, that's okay. Nowadays, all of the tools should be friendly to other systems, or you need to make sure that you pick tools that you can seamlessly integrate between your systems. And the reason that's important is that you want your teams, you want your people to feel like they're all working in one place, even though they might be working in separate systems. But as long as the data is flowing between them seamlessly, as long as they're all the it's one central source of truth, then they're not going to they're not going to see those silos. They're not going to see the friction. Got it. Got it. I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Green Screens. That's greenscreens.ai. Greenscreens is a dynamic pricing technology for the truckload spot market that delivers buy and sell side market intelligence to help brokers and 3PLs grow and protect their margins. Freight brokers and 3PLs using green screens gain the following advantages. Faster pricing for both buy side and sell side transactions. 
pricing that is more accurate and more likely to win profitable business. Guys, dynamic pricing is the next killer app. Hundreds of freight brokers are already using it because it enables them to develop faster, more accurate quotes. This is the time. Check out Green Screens in the show notes, greenscreens.ai. So let's switch gears again. So you work with, describe your average customer. Where are they at? What, what do they do? Where are they at? And then why do they reach out to you? Yeah, so where they're usually they're usually about to hit or I would say they're in the beginnings of hitting that high growth their high growth phase and their senior leadership is lo- looking at it and saying oh crap we the systems we have now are not going to scale with us and so we need something that we're going to be able to not just grow, not necessarily grow into it's not a we're buying we want some we want a giant system it's going to take us 10 years to grow into it we want something that can grow with us and so think about, for example, your receiving workflow. Today, your receiving workflow, let's say, has 10 different steps in your warehouse. And then maybe in a year or two, it might be 20 different steps or it might split out and they might have different nuances. And so what they want is they want that flexibility and that adaptability to be able to change it very easily. And so that's where they come to us, particularly be, partic- particularly enticed by the low-code platform and the build the building blocks and the nature of how we actually build that system. Uh, a lot of times, most, most, well, most of what we work with, it starts with inventory and warehousing. That's the most common problem. Nobody knows what they have, where they have it, or how much of it they have. And so as you're growing, when you start losing, when you start losing your product or you don't know where it is, that's usually when they start coming to us. And out of that central of knowing what you have, where you have it and how much you have, there's other pieces and problems that stem out of it from there as well. So these, you work with a lot of, again, retail companies, so they would have physical locations, bricks and mortar, right? That would be one location. Then you said you also work with just companies that are like e-commerce companies. These would be e-commerce companies that are doing their own fulfillment. Yeah. So a lot of times they do their own fulfillment. They might be, let's say, for example, a good example is in food and beverage where let's say they're doing they're doing meal kitting or they have very specific fresh dog food that they're they're transporting themselves. Right. So they're getting into a little bit of that vertical integration that, that makes their supply chain more complicated. Right. That dog food, is that like fresh? Dog food has to be refrigerated. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Any of those complications, such as having to kit things together, putting different products together, changing SKUs all the time, maintaining quality of freshness, or even things such as I'm a direct to consumer and now I want to get into retail and thinking about before I was fulfilling orders one by one and now Macy's is asking me for this giant order and how do I fill that? How do I manage that with right. my current system? So you, again, you, you would also work, you work with three. PLs also. Some are the e-commerce companies and the retailers who actually are at the big supply chains. And then some you also work with 3PLs. That, And the reason I ask is so many of the people I talk to lately are warehousing and fulfillment companies. And I think we get the impression sometimes that everybody who's in e-commerce automatically picked one of these wonderful 3PLs that we uh, have in our space. Mm-hmm. A lot of times what I'm hearing, especially for smaller companies, they don't have the option to go to a lot of warehousing and fulfillment companies. Warehousing and fulfillment companies don't want small customers for the most part. Now, check out my buddy Joe Spizak was on the podcast. He's over from fulfill.com. 
And yep, I know Joe. Yeah, and he would always say, I, "Joe, send him my way," because he he has been that little guy who had, him and his wife, I think, had a. He just got married. I just saw that on LinkedIn, but I thought he was married before. But him and his wife had started a game board games, and then when you're trying to do the fulfillment, when we were growing during COVID and e-commerce seemed like it was just booming. I think all of these companies that were stepping out of the stepping out of the startup phase said yes to everybody. Yes, I can work with you. Yes, I can work with you. And then as they matured a little bit, they're like, you know what? These little companies, they need more than we can give. And we don't want to work with them anymore. So there is there is no one right answer in this space for how to do warehousing and fulfillment. No, there isn't because it's you're dealing with you're dealing with the physical world right when you think about just ones and zeros or moving things around around your laptop that's very easy to do when you're thinking about okay that the one and zero needs to be converted to something tangible and the right person needs to go get a task created and needs to go pick it out of the warehouse needs to go put it in a box the box needs to make it onto a truck and then it needs to make it across the u.s to the right person's house there's so much orchestration so much complexity involved right so these companies they're growing they have dirty data they have data integrity problems they got all these data silos the manual functions that worked for a long time are starting to kill them (laughs) and they want to grow and to your point they also need something that's adaptable that allow them to grow and won't hamper them in six months would require them to get a new system. You talked about also focus on competitive advantage. And then we talked a little bit about the connectivity. So assuming these people are really smart, they hear about Porter Logic, they say, Anya, that's exactly what we need. How long does it take to implement what you guys have for one of your customers? So it depends. The, the answer is it depends on the scope and complexity of the use case, but generally it's on the order of weeks. That's a lot faster than I thought you were going to say. So what systems do you, what does PorterLogic, what functions do you guys perform for them? I know, is it modules? Yeah. So we can actually be the supply chain system, what I, I, I call it from order to dock, order to warehouse dock, right? So inventory and warehouse management is our, our key focuses. But a lot of times what happens is people realize I need some help managing orders from both my e-commerce and, and my wholesale side, or I need to manage my procurement process, or I need a bit of a TMS light to manage the trucks that are that are coming in and I need to be able to see what let's say either what I'm putting what I'm putting on the truck or what I'm getting off of the truck. So we can do all of those pieces because we inherently we took the opposite of, we took the opposite approach to building our platform that other people do. And but what I mean by that is when you think about typical systems, they're built as a box and they will t- and the sales rep will tell you, oh, you can change the color. You can change the font. Maybe this box is actually even more of a Rubik's Cube so you can move it around a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's still a box. And if and you as a company will eventually at some point have to make the decision, can I fit into this box or do I have to make workarounds around it? Or do I try and pay some consultants oodles of dollars in order to make this box into a trapezoid or something like that? And we took the exact opposite approach where we really start with a blank slate and we start with a set of building blocks to enable the functionality that you need to mold to your operations. So think of Portalogic as essentially a 
almost like a, a Lego toolkit yeah. of these building blocks. I was going to say this, have the STEM, guy and transforms. I was going to mm-hmm. say the stem cells that the stem cells that, that <laughs> exactly they yeah do whatever think they of need it as do. exactly exactly so rather than having the operation mold to the software can we mold the software to your operation? And most of the, and really all the time, the answer to that is yes. And then when your operation changes, you can just change the software. So let me ask, we talked about, let's just say I have an e-commerce store, somebody buys something, they put it in the basket. So those are e-commerce systems that I guess we'll say like Shopify or something like that. And then I need an order management system. What does that order management system do for me? So if you, let's say you have a Shopify store and then you have an Amazon store and then you also have wholesale My and maybe website, you even yeah. have, yeah, you've got your own website. Maybe you've got, maybe you've got a distributor who also buys your products as well, but they do that over email or something. And so you might have someone who is literally a person who's orchestrating all of that, who's downloading <laughs> the orders from each of those pieces and telling the uh, going and manually inputting them into the system. So by having an order management system, you're automating those pieces so that data is flowing immediately and you're not having a, you're reducing the risk of human error. You're automatically taking up those orders from all those different channels. They're flowing through the system. They're getting to the WMS or getting to the warehouse. So the right person can pick, pack and ship it. And then you go back and you can automatically also tell the customer, Hey, Mr. Customer, your order was just shipped. Here's your carrier. Here's your tracking. Let us know when you receive it. So what about inventory management? So if I'm like a warehouse or even if I'm a distributor, I need to know that my inventory is what I need more of what I've sold, right? Absolutely. So what I, the two big problems or the two big kind of risks that keep inventory managers up at night is I either have too much of something that is not going to sell well. So I'm going to have that dead inventory and I don't know how to get rid of it. Or I am stocked out on my best selling items. And by the way, it's going to be a 12 week lead time before I can get more. And so in both of those cases, and particularly in the stock out, you want to understand how much you have in your, you, you want to know how much you currently have so you can get ahead of the demand and you can make sure that you have enough inventory to capture all of that demand. One other problem I see sometimes is if there's a data silo between the operations and the marketing side, where the marketing side might promote some certain products that they overpromoted and basically they thought they had more inventory than they do or they just assumed. And then you've got a product that's sold out. You've got customers that wanted to buy that are unhappy about it. And so you're just losing money there. Yeah, that's I say it all the time on my podcast is like inventory is everything. And that's all it that is. we're doing. And, and I think the inventory carrying costs and the inventory mistakes are probably more expensive than all transportation. And that, and when we talk about logistics, we tend to think, oh, it's all about moving stuff. If we could just get the inventory right. And sometimes the companies will have 30 SKUs. And I've mentioned this before on my podcast recently. You go to Aldi. Aldi has a lot fewer SKUs. And they have lower prices. Trader Joe's, much fewer SKUs. Costco, much fewer SKUs. These are stores that we seem to love, right? And yeah. now on the other hand, I live right by, not too far from me is Meyer, which is like Walmart here in the Midwest. And right across the street is a Walmart. Obviously, they carry quite a bit. But it does start to make you wonder, could we 
and these are very low margins business. Retail is a very low margin business. And the challenge with inventory is always the day after Christmas, how valuable are all these Christmas candies? They aren't worth it. How much is the Halloween candy worth the day after Halloween? We have tons of stuff that is perishable because of the season. We have other inventory that's perishable because it's food or medicine or some drink. Yeah, it is not easy. And you mentioned the uh, challenge with inventory. I worked for a forecasting company. And I remember the CEO when I was, when he was asking me to join the company said, the very worst thing that can happen in business is not having enough inventory to sell. And then he goes, except, <laughs> he goes, except having too much inventory that you can't sell. I was like, I go, well, which is it? He goes, both. <laughs> he, goes, it's, he goes, it's the never ending. There's the sweet spot and there's a sweet spot. And then a lot more beyond the sweet spot is the normal, right? So we have to, Absolutely. We have to get better at that. And I think one of the things we're going to, I would not be surprised to see this is envision like a, a retail location that has, um, and I'll use this retail location that says we have much fewer SKUs, something like an Aldi, but also maybe for the stuff that is a little more rare, we have a, a central distribution that allows you to get that overnight. So I can buy, if I need to go buy bread and milk and eggs and candy, I can go get that. But if I wanted some spice that is a little more rare, that might get shipped to my house. I see, because I think we all just want to get better inventory. The people over at Throughput, when you've been on my podcast many times, Ali Raza, he has talked about this before on my podcast, is the challenge is about 30% of the stuff we make, it dies on the shelf. It never gets to the end consumer. Food is famous that way. And what's crazy is we make food, and you think about that long supply, when I say make it, sometimes it's animals, but we raised it, whatever, killed it, put it on a shelf, and then at some point didn't eat it because it went bad. And meanwhile, we find out... 10 miles away is a food bank that would have loved to have that food last week. So we just have to get so much better at the inventory. Absolutely. Stepping off my soapbox right now. <laughs> so you can get somebody up up and running in a few weeks. Now, what are some of the what are some of the advantage? What are they what are the benefits they start to see when they've used the software? Let's assume they had some rickety spreadsheets and emails and a whole bunch of manual functions and then they move to a system like yours. What kind of the what do they start to see in their biz? I think the first is a collective sigh of relief is a lot of times what I see, which is that I feel confident that my my kind of my duct tape together system or what I used to have is no longer in, da in danger of breaking. I'm no longer in danger of basically a very critical fire drill. So a lot of times there's a collective sign of relief for, from the operations team and especially from those folks who were doing all of that manual data wrangling, right? They were constantly reacting, const spending all of their time just just trying to keep the ship afloat, whereas now they have a lot more time to actually focus on the things that will drive the business forward. So that's the freedom of having a, having more time, having more flexibility is huge. They get almost re-energized and excited again about about their jobs because they're able to they're just able to do a lot more. They have a lot more time to focus on 
some of the higher value things that they they want to do rather than some of the the low value things that they used to have to do that we've automated away. Another piece is around the just the lack of frustrations. For example, I've I've seen folks, especially from in in the warehouse with an old system where they used to say, oh, literally someone had two different scan guns because they knew, oh, for this type of product I have to scan it this way, and this type of product I have to scan it with this system, right? That's it's all of this mental overhead that is just. It, it gets draining after some point. So there is that kind of that operational, that the operational, the cultural benefit. The other big benefit is really around around the revenue uplift, right? If you were dealing with stockouts, if you weren't properly, if you weren't properly, if you weren't able to capture some of that revenue because you were constantly out of stock on some things, or you were you were missing, you're essentially missing some of the things that you could have right. sold, then you're going to see that revenue uplift because your operation is basically getting more efficient. And a third piece is just around a, a lot of times you might think about at, at that point, you might think about throwing more people at the problem. Now you can think about maybe I don't have to throw people at the problem. Maybe some of the system can take care of it for me. And so they start streamlining some of those systems and they really start consolidating and being able to orchestrate everything from one central point, which also starts driving to better, better data-driven decision-making where they're no longer, you're no longer sitting in a room and you ask, you let's say you have a discussion and you ask someone, how do you know this is going to work? And they say, you know what, I just this is just my field. Just trust me. They're going to go to a portal logic dashboard and they're going to say, look what we have here. It's X, Y, Z. And so this is why we should do this. So let's just say they've got like a last mile partner, like one rail or freight. And they say, yeah, we'd just like to integrate with them. Is that doable? Yes, it is. Awesome. Awesome. And so I know that this is one of the things I've, I've learned over time is that the newer softwares, and I'll throw yours in that category, the newer softwares are built to integrate with others, I'll call best in class systems. And so if somebody says, Hey, did you know there's this new app that does this? You're like, yep, we'll be connected to it. Absolutely. I would also say that it's not just about, I don't want to ostracize the older legacy systems either. So we oh, do you were actually... doing that before we hit record. <laughs> no, I'm <only> kidding. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's great. If you're going through a if you're going through a transformation, then it's important not to do everything at once and just rip everything out and start afresh. That's very risky. And so we're friendly towards all systems, right? If you have a new if you have a new system, that's great. It's easier to connect to. If you have an old system and you need a bolt-on to enable those capabilities, we can figure out a way to automate getting the data out of there and enable those capabilities so that you can control when you're ready or how you're ready to get off of that yep. system. And by the way, I've had the guys on from JBF Consulting. They help really large shippers select 3PLs. And one of the things they always talk about is you select a system, whatever it might be, TMS, WMS, ERP. You select it. That takes some time. Then you implement it. And then you start using it. And then as soon as there's this launch, there's sometimes this mentality. is like, whew, on to the next problem. And you realize, and what they've said is you might be using that system at 65% of its total capacity, capability. And maybe that's fine, but don't forget you just paid for that whole system. If there is another 10, 15, 20% that you can get out of it, don't stop just, and maybe take a few weeks off after launch to just survive. (laughs) But it does make sense to just keep, continue on to, to make sure you're getting the total ROI out of the system. Absolutely. So- 
what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and I'll put a link to your website and any other links you and your marketing team give me. And again, who's your sweet spot? High growth, mid-market, direct-to-consumer, distributors, retailers. Especially if they're having growing pains. Manufacturers, yep. (laughs) Yep. I like to interview smart, interesting people like you, Anya. Ideally, people who I can pronounce their last name. (laughs) Who else should I interview on my podcast? Now that you said that you have to be able to pronounce their last name, (laughs) the the list just got so, so much shorter. So one person who comes to mind is Paul Noble from Verison. So he, he actually founded Verison. I think recently he, their series B, they do material handling and intelligence. Great guys out of Atlanta. Of course. Really, really, of course. It's, it's the Atlanta mafia. Really terrific entrepreneur. I think that'd be a good I would love that. Yeah. And material handling, again, one of those areas that's so important. What conferences will we see you at? I know I'll see you next year at Manifest. What other conferences do you and your team get to? Yeah. So I haven't finalized. I've been on the road for the last four months. We've probably seen me at almost every single conference. (laughs) I have not finalized my schedule yet for the fall, but I know we're definitely going to be at CSCMP. We're definitely going to be a grocery shop, next-gen supply chain, and I'm sure there'll be a couple other supply chain conferences I'll be at as well. Nice, nice. Again, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, link to your website so anyone can reach out and talk to you. And Anya, I love what you guys are doing. It's uh, much needed. <laughs> we need these We need these systems. And what's interesting, normally I talk to people who are doing TMS and WMS, but usually the WMS is so focused on warehousing and not necessarily looking at some of the retailers and e-commerce companies that want to manage some of that on their own and or working with multiple companies so they need to do it on their own. Yeah, I think we're not so much focused on defining what is a what falls into a WMS or IMS or OMS. We're very much focused on what's the problem and do we have a solution for it? And so that's how we think about it at Portal Logic. And if I can't solve the problem, I know a lot of folks who, one of them I'm confident I can point you in the right direction to solve it. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time, Anya. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.